My guest on this episode of Geek 4 is the award-winning journalist from the Winnipeg Free Press, Melissa Martin. Longtime listeners of this podcast may remember that Melissa was one of my very first guests. She may have been my first interview when I recorded that first block of episodes. She was really generous with her time with someone she didn't really know, and I thought it was a great interview. So I was really pleased when she agreed to come back. Our conversation here, we don't talk about a specific thing that she's passionate about. Melissa has lots of interests and is always developing new interests, but she's going through a period of reflection. And um, so am I. People who have listened to the podcast carefully may realize that I've completely turned my life upside down. My marriage ended, I moved cities, I moved jobs and careers. Some people I thought would be with me through thick and thin just walked out. And our conversation kind of reflects on what it means to leave things behind. Things that were important to us that we kind of have to let go of. So the conversation was actually really moving. Um, We didn't know what we were going to talk about when we started. We just agreed to hit record and see where the conversation goes. And I think it went in some really good places, some really meaningful places. And I hope you get something out of it as well. This is Geek 4, a podcast about fans, fandom, and fan culture. I'm Dr. Michael Boyce. Everyone likes something, but what are you a geek for? So, so, Melissa, uh, how are things? Uh, really good. Yeah, yeah. really good. Um, yeah, it's been uh, just a crazy few months um, for me. Um, got some plans that aren't quite public yet that will be soon. Um, just making some changes in my life upcoming. So that's a little teaser, but um, not that anyone cares about my life but me. So it's like, oh, here's oh. a teaser. Like, uh yeah who cares you know um, oh people but, just but, making up rumors and you know right i know it's like you kind of want to do the like uh yeah stay tuned and then you remember that <laughs> no one's actually watching your life like yeah. no, nobody oh. actually cares like oh tell me about it <laughs> you have all your instagram posts that you're like oh it's like oh wait right no no one really cares like <laughs> no one really cares this is no. a lesson i've learned the last six months it's ex- ex- yeah. exactly like i am not the main character in anyone's life on my own so um not even that i'm not even that so so no so things so things are really good Uh, yeah just about um yeah just kind of working on like i said making like 2023 is going to be a pretty interesting year for me so uh working on getting everything in place for that i've been um getting rid of a i'm getting rid of like a lot of my stuff lately i'm really like that's been a journey um i'm curious about that like you you i mean you like so many different things and you kind of like you've accumulated all this stuff over your lifetime all these interests stuff how has it been kind of decluttering your life well so i think it's interesting so i don't actually have a lot of stuff i should say like i because i'm not um i'm not like a super material person with sort of an one category exception being clothing like i've always had issues buying clothing I've gotten a lot better about that in recent years, but the problem is I still had like 20 years worth of stuff previously. Do you know what I mean? Like from, you know, even going back to when I was like, a, you know, 19 and worked at Le Chateau in the mall, you know, and oh, wow. clothes, I still had and, and still have some of that stuff, but I still had like boxes of that stuff. And um, so my issue isn't like acquiring stuff so much. Like I seem to not ever get as much stuff as people have. But my issue is I get very attached to the things that I do have. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so it was like stuff like, you know, after my dad died, I had like boxes and boxes of stuff that mm. he had in his garage that was now like, uh, you know, his, um, his widow was just like, no, you're taking all this back. And I was like, oh, darn it. Um, I've nowhere to put any of this stuff, you know? Yes. And, you know, and these are just bins and bins and bins of old stuff, like old notebooks from high school or junior high mm. even. Um, you know, old stuff my dad and I did together. And then just like, just stuff, like stuff that I had old, like stuffed animals that I can't remember, like, like not quite ones I had as a kid, but not, but I can't remember why I had them. Um, you know, tons of stuff when I was a kid. Like I found these old teenage mutant, tons of teenage mutant ninja turtle stuff because I was a huge ninja turtles fan. So I found like this whole sheet set that my dad had saved because my dad was kind of like this too, actually. Um, and traditionally, I've always had an issue with like, well, you can't get rid of this stuff. Like, yeah, sort of by virtue of having had it now for a long time, it becomes something you need to continue to have. Like, um, or that there's some sort of uh you know, this is why we go to therapy. Like you're putting like some sort of like, this is my story. Like, who would I be if I didn't have this? Like this sort of object, even though it's like not special or there's no particular memory associated with it, it sort of connects you to things, right? Like mm -hmm. or another example, and sometimes it can't, it, sometimes it's not even, there's no good memory associated to it. Sometimes there's like actively bad memories. Like one thing I'd carried around for years, you know, was, um, had this big pile of medical paperwork from when one of my cats got uh, very sick. And for um, when we transferred her to a different vet, we had to get her whole medical file from the first vet. And so and it was super thick because she had been diagnosed with sort of end stage kidney disease. So it was like a day by day of like she was an emergency vet for like a week, you know, and it was like a day by day, minute by minute of how she's doing. Um, and I couldn't get, and that cat died, you know, and I, I couldn't get rid of this stuff. I could not get rid of that paperwork for years, you know, because I was like, I'd, I'd read through it and I'd be like, oh, like it'd be little notes about how she was like purring when they tried to take her pulse or something, you know. And I was like, I can't get rid of this. How can I get rid of this? Like, that's sort of my connection to her. And I had, so I had this moment where I just kind of realized that, uh, but every time I would see this thing, like it was horrible. Like it was painful, you know, because yeah. it was not a fun memory. It's not even positive. It's just, or it's not even bittersweet. It was just an outright terrible memory of how traumatizing that period of time particularly was like for me. Um, and then I kind of had this moment where I was just like, you know, you know, you, you've sort of invested so much emotion into just having these things and that, that, that sort of this stack of paperwork, that's your connection to the, the cat do you know what i mean like that's sort of your relationship with the cat is now in this paperwork and just kind of talking yourself through like you know i don't need to keep these things because you know like like that cat and how much i loved her is not in this paperwork you yeah. know <laughs> like yeah. at the end of the day and so you just kind of had this little moment with it and threw it out and then the really interesting thing i've been finding and i found it with all this stuff is it's not the it's not um it's the letting go that's hard mm -hmm. it's not the being without the thing that's hard i had that with my bike too i've had this bike that i only i think ever rode twice because i actually don't like biking and i don't like biking in winnipeg especially so i bought this bike like 10 years ago and i think i rode it twice and then never again but 
you know, for 10 years and like four different apartments, I'd move this thing around and it would be stored here and stored there. And we never had storage for it. And I never had storage for it. And, um, and then earlier this year, I had it locked up in my parkade and this guy tried to steal it when I was in the parkade. And so he had damaged it a bit. And, uh, and then I was just like, man, why am I carrying this, this bike around? Like, I don't even use it. I haven't used it in ages. And, um, so I sold it, but it, it took me a long time to get this, you sell it. Cause I was just like, I can't sell my bike. Like it's my bike. Like, how can you sell your bike? I'm like, but you don't use it. Like, and so again, it's more of that, you know, and, and the process of deciding to list it was really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, some guy messaged me on Facebook, bought it. And, uh, as soon as it was out the door, I never thought about it again. And like, and it was so fascinating because the lead up to getting out of it had been such a emotional torment. Yeah. And then it was gone, and it was just like, cool. Like, never, I haven't thought about it since. Um, and that I think has been a very instructive part of decluttering, which is that, you know, it's more, it's, it's none of this stuff actually matters. It's just sort of what you've told yourself you'll be if you don't have it or it's like that feeling of letting go that's like really scary and then once you're like actually it's not it's not so bad after all just just get rid of it like all this stuff go gone like you're not gonna miss it and you don't yeah so i I find this like so particularly profound because having been through my own giant life change like moved from winnipeg to toronto my marriage ended and there was so much of like you know university notes stuff that I haven't looked at and I was a you know I left my job as a professor but I wouldn't go back to the my my undergrad university notes for anything but yeah. the idea of like why would I keep like I don't need these anymore but you're right like we we do attach something of our own story into the things that we keep and it oh. might not be anything particularly profound but we we or imbue it with meaning for some reason. And then it just becomes this, this thing. And how, how do you, how could you possibly yeah. get rid of it? Oh, that's. Well, exactly. It's just like all this stuff is just this little blanket you put around yourself to feel like, no, I have like an identity. I have a story. I have a, you know, it's like, you're still fine without no. it, you know, like none of it matters. Right. Like, and, and, and especially most things too, like if it does matter, you can get it again, yeah. especially stuff like you said, like paperwork, like, or, like copies of things that you could get somewhere else if you needed it back, you know, like, um, yeah, it's a really fascinating mental process, but it's quite, quite liberating to kind of realize yeah. like, Oh, I actually don't need any of this. You know, I don't, I don't need any of this at all. Mm. And I'm sort of still fundamentally the same person, you know? Um, yeah. So it's like, I found that like the process was like going through all these bins was just really trying to, limit down like hey what actually has what actually is special like what actually has really special associations like i don't want to get rid of everything you know like mm-hmm. you know my because my dad like i said was like this too so we saved all this stuff like, i found um tickets for um a brian adams concert in one effect that my dad took me to when i was a kid and my i always had the best memories of that concert the best and dad and i would talk about it over the years you know because it was out at Birds Hill Park and ended up being in the middle of this massive thunderstorm. It's pretty legendary, actually, for people people who are there. It was Brian Adams Extreme Ooh. and Honeymoon Suite, so that tells you the era. And uh, it was the Waking Up the Neighbors tour. Uh, 
And uh, yeah, there, there ended up being this like apocalyptic thunderstorm throughout the whole, like the whole of Brian Adams concert. Um, and I remember my dad put me on his shoulders, you know, to watch some of it. And then just the mm-hmm. rain and the wind got too bad. So we walked back to the car, you know, it's in Birds Hill Park. So you're walking, you know, all the way back. And um, I remember walking back in the rain and as we were getting to the parking lot and you could hear over the wind was everything I do, I do it for you, you know, back in this back when it was like the big, mm-hmm. and I still remember that so vividly. It was just like this really special memory I had with dad. And yeah, in, in one of these boxes, I found oh. he had both ticket subs from that concert. And um, of course I'm saving those, you know, and eventually, you know, kind of when I'm settled in a different place again, I'm going to, I'll get them framed, you know, like I'll, treat them as special so like things like that you can keep because you should keep these little artifacts that have you know really meaningful memories but it's, i mean this is very like marie kondo right but she is right about this kind of idea is like if it doesn't bring you joy any difficulty you have getting rid of it is probably not meaningful it's probably just sort of the fear of losing part of yourself but it's not a, an accurate fear you know like just keep the stuff that really does kind of bring that that joy or that that love or something, you know, the rest of it can can go. The tickets have sentimental value for you and having discovered them, absolutely frame them. That would be beautiful. But the memory that you have of the concert, like that's intangible, but has stayed with you your whole life. Like to me, that's really profound. The realization that sometimes it's the experience of the thing itself that was important and the, imp- and the physical thing. Oh, for sure. You know, well, it- well, and that's especially when you talk about relationships with people, especially people who are gone, you know, like, I mean, like with my dad, I, you know, was kind of learned a lot about that because you know how it is sometimes with your parents and kids, like, you know, you kind of get these specific stories about incidents that sort of become family lore, right? They get told and retold and retold. Um, but one thing I found out, like, so I kind of knew, you know, through my whole life that my dad and I had very similar good memories of childhood, of my childhood. Um, but what, you know, after he died, I think what was so fascinating was getting some of this stuff back and finding stuff that he had saved that I didn't know about. Like, I didn't know he had saved. And and it was like the same memories that I had and realizing that they were the same thing to him, like. Because then in another example would be, um, you know, I was really into the Titanic when I was like six or something. You know, I just got obsessed with it. And we had all these like books about it and documentaries and uh, just I loved nautical disasters and stuff as a child. And, um, but my dad would always be this type of guy that would, you know, when I would kind of get really deep into these interests, which I'm probably on the spectrum somewhere, but whatever. Like whenever I'd get really into these things, um, he would a make sure like like definitely encourage me to follow but b he would also find little things we could do together Uh, so around it so yeah so when i got really into the titanic he went and he found like a model like a model you know kit like a titanic model kit and we we, so we would assemble and paint this thing together you know and we didn't do a very good job it. we didn't have the right color paints and you know it's not historically accurate and pretty messy but I, you know, I do remember doing this model with my dad, like at the kitchen table and, you know, after school, and, you know, the little paintbrushes and just talking, doing this thing. So after he died, 
in one of these boxes, uh, this cardboard box, even on the outside of the box in my dad's um, you know, handwriting in a Sharpie, he had written, he was like listing the contents of this box and he wrote Titanic model made by Melissa and dad, Aww. which just got to me a because he identified himself as dad in that mm -hmm. piece right but also b that it was important enough to him to to note that it was in there and when i opened the box up like he had wrapped this whole thing in like layers of newspaper and then and then written on it like you know titanic model um, and really tucked it away um and I was, I was so fascinated by that because I was like, I don't think dad and I talked a lot over the years about having made that. So it's not, and he must have put, he must have saved that like probably pretty close to the time that we did. I still would have been a kid, mm -hmm. you know, when he wrapped that away. So it was really interesting to me that, you know, back when I was still very young and I'm sure he packed away when he moved apartment somewhere else. Um, you know, the he that this moment had been as special to him as I now as a, an adult remember it being to me then, you know, and so that was an interesting moment, especially to find that after he had died. And it was sort of like this connection. It was like this communication that was passing through time. You know, it was sort of like like and there's so many little things like that in his stuff That's really that it was beautiful. Just, yeah, it was just like. Because I'm sure Titanic didn't mean that much to him, but it meant something to you. Yeah. Well, and then my dad was a really um, good one for, I mean, he's a, you know, clinical psychologist and therapist, you know, so he was pretty emotionally, well, I mean, and this isn't always true of psychologists, let's be clear, but, <laughs> uh, you know, he was quite, emo he was quite in contact with emotions, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Um, and, uh you know, he, my dad was a, a excellent barometer of sort of what are the, the kind of moments or experiences that really matter. Mm. So it didn't surprise me at all in one way to find all these little things. Um, it didn't surprise me at all, but it, it, it definitely, it definitely was like, it was just, it was just really cool, you know, cause I can't ask him about these things anymore. Yeah. And then, so, but it was, then it was just like, you open these boxes and you're like, Oh, he definitely saw these moments as meaningful as, mm -hmm. as I still feel them. And so it's just like a beautiful thing. That's... So it's like, so there is like, you know, I'm not like a total minimalist. I think like there are things that sort of, again, can, um, you know, sort of carry the resonance of things that are really meaningful and that you should keep. Mm. But just like most of it probably doesn't, you know, <laughs> like, so it's easy, it's easy to get sort of like, you know what the things are that do, but I think sometimes there's lots of things that don't, that can get caught up in that, you know? Um, oh, absolutely. <laughs> like I did give away the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle sheets and I almost didn't. I had a moment where I'm like, well, I can't, I can't get rid of these. These are my old... <laughs> ninja turtle sheets that my dad saved for a reason and then i'm like i'm not i don't need <laughs> i'm sure for a single bed which would be inappropriate like <laughs> exactly yeah like i do not need like old cheap ninja turtle sheets i really don't and you know and i didn't even know these existed until you know like a month ago right like um i had no idea you've, that he had saved you've lived your uh, whole life without them they're you're fine you're fine yeah, yeah exactly no, yeah. so it's just like it's okay like the titanic model i always remember mm -hmm. you know always remembered 
I didn't always know he had saved it, but I definitely always remembered it. The Ninja Turtle sheets, I wouldn't have no. remembered until the second I saw them and was like, oh my God. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah, stuff. That's that's what we're doing here. Yeah. Books, books are hard a little bit. Book, books I've, were hard. Yeah. I got to admit that was a real, especially like, you know, being a professor and, and teaching English literature to just go like, I'm never going to read that again. I don't need it. No, I know. I'm having I've done I've done a few pretty vicious cleanouts of books, mm-hmm. but I know I could still do more. And part of the issue is what like I'm down to like a pretty small number of books now. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's still a lot that I can't seem to toss even though I know I'm not going to read them again. Yeah. Like And there's some I want to keep whether I read them again or not just for different reasons, but there's some that I'm like I'm never going to read this uh, like in cold blood, you yeah. know, I've never, I've never finished that book. I don't really like it. <laughs> nope. Why am I having such an issue putting it in the bin? Couldn't tell you. Like I just, cause I feel like I, here's the problem with books. I've said this before. I think 90% of all of our books are um, like where it gets complicated is it's not so much like owning the book. It's that, you want to think of yourself as the type of person who would own that book? Yes. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. It's funny. I'm looking at my shelf right there. Truman Capote's In Cold Blood is sitting right there. I don't yeah. think I've Have ever you... read it. No. Oh, well, see, there you go. But you feel like you're the type of person you should own. Yes, I should read a, I should, I should absolutely read a book about two murderers. Um, that's exactly the type well, of person. Well, then it's a classic work. Yeah. Of what, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, like, this is what I mean. I think books get complicated in that way because you're like i either did read this book and found it really boring or i haven't read this book in 10 years for whatever reason but but i'm the type of person who would own this book like i want to be right like i want to be the person who has all these like classic pieces oh oh, melissa yeah like i got rid of I got rid of almost all of my Jack Kerouac novels. Like I read Kerouac in high school on the road. Barmadums were really seminal. I kept those two, but the rest of them are not very great. Like they're not great novels. I don't really enjoy them. I'm like, I'm going to get rid of those, but I still have this twinge of guilt that I I should be the person who likes Jack Kerouac. Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And it's like, and it's not, it's just, it's just like, this is what I want to show the world. Like when people come over, I want them to see, like, let's be honest. You're like, I want them to see that I have this Jack Kerouac. No one cares, you know, like it's sort of like an advertising pitch, but it's just like, nobody, nobody cares. Well, to be fair, nobody comes over here. So it's, I'm I'm kind of, I'm kind of out of the way. Nobody can get into my apartment and small. So nobody's seeing this stuff anyways. Very few people anyways. There you go. So get rid of it. They've already made, they already made their decisions about me if they've come in. So, yeah. I'm still working through that because yeah, there's some of these and then I have some books. I have some like signed copies of books that I really don't like, Um, but then you can't get rid of it because it's signed. signed. Yeah. Yeah, I won't. Don't ask, know. I won't ask you who, uh, just in case it's somebody we know. Um, yeah. No, like it's nobody. Nobody that we know. Like I have. Well, I have signed ones from some people I know, mm-hmm. but I would want to keep those. Um, but just some others from different events and stuff, and I'm just like, I don't need that. Like, you know, like I look through it, and I'm like, hey, there's definitely some. Oh, no question. I would never want to be without 
excuse me, these books, but then yeah, others I'm like, so we're work, we're working on that. I feel like I have more as I'm staring at my bookshelf <laughs> with a little bit of fear. No, I'm doing the same thing going like, Oh, I can't believe I brought that with me all the way from, from Winnipeg. Yeah. And you know, yeah. it's funny when the, the movers brought my stuff. Um, first thing the guy asked me was, are you a teacher? And I'm like, I oh, was, God. why? And he goes, only time I ever I ever had to move this many books, it was for a teacher. I'm like, oh, okay, that's great. And I got rid of God. half of my books, at least. Count on Chris to absolutely call you on your show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Like, because they don't care. They don't care. They don't care any of this. They just care how much stuff they have to move. Yeah, so they're just this box is heavy. Each <laughs> book. Yeah, that was, 100%. That they nailed it. And it's just like, damn, man, way to... What about your video <laughs> games? Um, so yeah, I'm selling off most of the most. most oh, wow. I'm selling off most of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I still, like I for a while, I had a bunch of like, classic gaming stuff, mm-hmm. but I can't even pick it up anymore. Um, it, that stuff takes up so much room. Yeah, I have a lot less than I used to have because I have already sold some stuff. Mm-hmm. There's some stuff I won't get rid of. Like I still have a, my Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. I'm keeping keeping that bad boy. Um selling all my classic Nintendo games because I just don't think I'll ever use it again. And also because there's like a bunch of websites now where if I was inclined to play the game, like you can just go like and do it right there in your browser. I was doing that with Dragon Warrior 4 the other day. Because I have a copy of Dragon Warrior 4 that works, which is worth like 200 bucks apparently for just the cartridge. And I'm like, I should really sell this because it's like, you know, 200 bucks a good chunk of money. Mm -hmm. And and but that one I can't sell because it's like it's my original copy and that was my favorite oh. playing game ever, you know. So we're not there yet on this <laughs> process. And um, it's a journey, Melissa. It's a journey. It's a journey, and I have like yeah, I've got an Atari that I got to sell. I've got a, I've got a second Master System and a bunch of games that still have. I got a bunch of games like in the cases with the manual still, which. It's decent, wow. but I don't have any cables for the Genesis or for the Master System, okay. so I can't. Yeah. So I'm gonna figure out how to deal with that because I don't want to like under undersell it, you know. Um, yeah, I've gotten the games down quite a bit, mm-hmm. uh, um, just because I don't play games like I used to. I used to be so into it, mm-hmm. um, and then yeah, just not anymore, I guess. Um, I have a guitar that, like, I have like five guitars, and I only use two of them. So it's like, why am I doing with the other three? Uh, but you know, again, guitar, like, there's too much emotional investment in every one of the guitars. Mm-hmm. So it's we're working through that. It's a process. It's a process. Know? I get it. It's a process. I get it. I get you're gonna, it. You're gonna have issues with some of it. Oh. You know. Well, um, one of the things that. I, I can't imagine the volume that you're writing and you're publishing at, like you could do this, but I had all the magazines of things that I'd written in just, you know, for friends or whatever over the years. And it was a good, it was a substantial stack of magazines and, and, you know, the old, uh, what was the, the uptown. Um, yeah. And I realized I don't need the full copy of that. I just, I like the co- the page that I printed my stuff in. So like I yeah. got rid of all the magazines and just kept the pages that I was doing. Um, yeah. The CDs I probably got rid of years ago, anyways, because everything got mine. digitized. But... I only have five CDs now, and they're all because they're again like like would be special mm-hmm. to me for some reason. Mm-hmm. Other than but so just five from teenagers that have some kind of resonance. The rest I got rid of. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle soundtrack, 
what else do you <laughs> no but i think i actually at one point not recently but over the last couple of years i think i did find something like that i de- i definitely had but it would have been on tape so maybe it was longer ago that i threw it out yeah i definitely had the tape of the secret of the ooze or whatever um of course you did. definitely of course you did. i was yeah huge ninja turtle apparently i mean you had the sheets and everything that's that's i had the sheets i found a like a a kite that was another thing i tossed i found tons of the toys i kept a couple of them just for fun mm-hmm. uh, i had no those other ninja turtles oh a bunch of shirts ninja turtle shirts some of them i'm not getting rid of it's one of the ones my dad got a custom airbrushed for me oh uh, yeah i was like such a such a nerd yeah but that wasn't no, that wasn't a nerdy thing back then though. That was that cool. was that that was a very common thing for people to be in. Turtles were cool. Yeah, yeah. Not everyone went as far as the sheets, but you know that's I I, I admire the I admire the commitment to the. Well, and like slight tomboy element there too. Obviously, mm-hmm. I probably the girlier thing. Maybe it was. I can't remember. Did girls like Ninja Turtles? Yes. Well, remember. they had April O'Neil, so like you know you had a there was a girl role right, model. You had the so, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, in terms of the journey, like, how much more stuff is there to get rid of? Do you imagine? Not much, to be honest. Like, there's still about, about a lot of clothes. I also have a pile of my mom's clothes um, that I'm kind of consigning or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could probably pare the clothes down a fair bit more, but I'm just sort of like. I've got it down far enough that I'm not that motivated about it anymore. Um, the books could use another bit of a trim and that's pretty much it. I don't have a lot of other stuff okay. otherwise, like other than like furniture and a few little uh, knickknacks and, um, you know, kind of stuff. So yeah, no, I, we, we've gotten very far in that process and, and now I'm like fairly content. Like there's definitely stuff I could still get rid of, mm-hmm. but I'm just, like I said, there's like less motivation. Cause once you get to the point, it's not like cluttering up your life anymore. You don't feel quite as like energetic about yeah. getting rid of every last thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I've, I've stripped down quite a bit. Uh, feels good, man. I don't know. It does. It does. Um, I, I know like looking around my small apartment and that like I brought so little furniture and stuff. So everything I've bought here with, I think the exception of my bed is new. Um, So it was very kind of strategic and intentional. Um, So I needed something for this. I needed bookshelves. I just bought as much as I needed to fit the books. Um, It helps that you have, that I have a very small apartment. I'm curious though, like I know one of the things that, people who saw me getting rid of this stuff said or did or expressed or suppressed in the case, in certain cases was a shock that I was getting rid of stuff that like that there was some kind of judgment. Did you get uh, any of that? No, no, okay, good. I think probably I haven't gotten rid of anything. Anyone would care about too much, okay. you know, like, I think the first time I did a big book thing, maybe there's a couple people like, "Wow, man, why are you getting rid of all these? And it was, it was just kind of sad. Like, I'm not going to read these again, mm-hmm. you know, but that was like a few years ago. Um, but I didn't, I didn't feel too judged. Good. Other than that. Yeah. Not really. Yeah. Not really. Yeah. I don't think, yeah, I don't think anyone cares that much. <laughs> <laughs> maybe no I, I'm just paranoid. Like, I'm just totally paranoid. So yeah, no, no one else cares that much. Yeah. It's just like, 
The, you know, although on that topic, I do remember oh, I, I don't know, years ago, I remember a, a guy I knew who had this incredible movie collection, like staggering mm-hmm. movie collection, like tons of um, DVDs, CD, or like in VHSs, mm-hmm. uh, including a lot of like really cult, you know, films. Like he basically was running like a movie village out of his like basement. So, like he could have, you know, it was like that kind of level of stuff. And I went over to his place one day and he had sold his entire collection. And I was like, what the heck? Mm. Like, and, um, and, uh, it ended up being that he was having some kind of midlife crisis and left his wife and ran away to Europe. <laughs> and then he had sold his collection to pay for that. So that was like the one time that I personally was ever like weirdly judgmental about like, why would you sell this stuff? Like, why would you get rid of this stuff? And it turned out, that I guess my radar was actually correct because he was just like, oh, you know, I just, uh, you know, it was time to time to make some changes and declutter down. And then like three weeks later, he found out he had like run off with this woman he met in England or something. Um, you should probably cut this out. So it's <laughs> <a> little... <laughs> no, I'm, I'm keeping this in. Probably a little I'm idea. Everyone I, oh, I'm sure. Them. Yeah, I, 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 I'm sure the phrase midlife crisis has been bandied about me. Um over the yeah. last over the last few months anyways but it's a modern tradition yeah no i hey i did not get a sports car um i i did not get a toupee i'm i'm you know this is life this is just gro- that's it growth. you're doing you're doing good you're doing good as long as the midlife crisis isn't embarrassing do you know what i mean it's yeah, like no. midlife crisis is good i think it's probably like a healthy thing it's just you know some people need help not like not making it an embarrassing one. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no. Uh, like a yeah, yeah. Um, like the sports car and the toupee is embarrassing because it's yes. like it's just too obvious. Well, the sports car is too obvious, and the toupee is also just like we know you didn't look like that like yesterday. So you know, it's yeah, not. Yeah. You know, it's like it's not. What? You'd have to. Have, you'd have to have laid the groundwork a lot earlier. Yes. Yeah. Um, and people don't. You know? People don't do that work. People don't like you need to play the long game with this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the sports car is just like a little too in your face. It's like you need to make it a little bit more like uh, be- believable. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I'm all about a midlife crisis. I think it's like it's good as long as you're not like hurting one, you know. We let like year olds do dumb stuff like run around Europe, you know, backpacking for a year or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like you should get another like pass like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I didn't do that growing up uh i didn't do that early in life so why not yeah yeah yeah. Uh, not backpacking good lord um i'm too old for that (laughs) you're like goodness no (laughs) can't even imagine camping good lord (laughs) yeah that's that's like the back pain and stuff starts to like add up that you didn't have at 21 right where it's just like oh god i can't do that oh Um, i fell asleep on my couch the other day and woke up with a crick in my neck like i can't imagine sleeping in a tent like this is a this is a terribly inappropriate story, but when I was uh, staying at this hostel in Ukraine, um, it was great. Once it stopped being weird, uh, it was, but it was amazing. And mm-hmm. but mo- like, there's some people had like private rooms, like, but they were way more expensive. But then the hostel rooms were like ten bucks or something, mm-hmm. like five ten bucks a night. So most people were in those. And uh, there was a discussion one night about where do you go if you meet someone, you know, like, how do you like, where, where would that kind of work if you're in one of the shared rooms? And, 
you know, this, this friend of mine was just like, well, you just you go to the bathroom. You go to the, that's what everyone does. Go to, go, you go to the bathroom. And I'm like, no, it's <laughs> like, absolutely not. I was like, maybe for you kids. Yeah. But I was like, I, I said, I was like, I am, I was like, you like 23 year olds. Sure. That's fine. I don't care what you do in the bathrooms. I personally, I'm not judging it. I'm just saying, I was like, I say, I personally am past the point of my life. <laughs> absolutely not doing the hostel shower thing like no, and I, no like no, no, like, no. I, would come, I would come up with a different option. ring for like, a hotel is <laughs> that's exactly i was like no it would i be. now make enough money that i could do this if i want exactly yes like, we're, oh. we're going for the 50 dollar night yes yes and like oh like money bags and i'm like this is you'll you'll understand yeah. when you get there kids but like no that sounds really like passionate and sloppy and fun when you're 21 it does not sound fun now. no it's unhygienic i mean there's possibilities of like weird angles like stretching things wrong no exactly. absolutely not no, absolutely not like <laughs> not dignified i'm not bad i'm not no, judging yeah. there's a time in your life yes. and then once you're once that time is over you're like nope you said the thing about the the sports cars being obvious as the midlife crisis thing. It is. It does seem to be that the the midlife crises that are the most judged, or or the ones that should be the most judged, are the ones that people not only try to recapture something, but like they actually try to relive the years oh, that they missed. It. And here you go. That's your midlife pro- crisis. Your midlife crisis can be breaking with the past. Your midlife crisis can be doing things you wish you had done but they can't be trying to recapture things yeah. like if you had that opportunity and you're like i don't like what my life has been heretofore or where i am right now and i want to make a break with that and do something else so you know people are sometimes going to call that midlife crisis but i don't think it is i think it's just well no it can still be a midlife crisis but it's like you want to be moving forward yeah. like if but if you're trying to be like no i'm going to be like yeah. young and hip again no you're not I didn't go tree planting. Like I got a good job in Toronto. Um, right. Or it's like, yeah. Or like all of a sudden you're going out with clubbing or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I, like I should say, but I am that age. Yes. I, do, I make an a, appearance at a nightclub here and there. I'm not saying it's bad. Like we're not supposed to stop doing fun things, but if you haven't done it before and all of a sudden you're like, I'm going to go party with 20 year olds. Like just don't, you're, you're probably not going to get what you think you're going to get out of it. No, no. <laughs> like it has to be sort of authentic and uh, yeah. you're not going to get those years of your life back. But if you don't like the life you have now, you, you can figure out how to make it something you want. That's moving you forward to like what you do want. Yeah, right? absolutely. Like, and it's interesting how some of that is leaving behind some of the things that we we've constructed narratives around that are, you know, this is who I am um th- that decluttering idea i think that that was incredibly therapeutic for me it sounds like it was for you too like yeah it was great i really liked it well i'll tell you it was like one probably thing that inspired all this was like when i went on my first trip to poland ukraine back in the spring uh, or in march april uh may yeah i kind of hit all of those months <laughs> I, was, I was gone for a <laughs> you long were gone time. for a long time yes yeah i was gone for like six weeks or something one thing was really interesting was like, especially, especially coming off the pandemic where I really hadn't, well, no, I went to Italy the year before, so I had left, but, um, 
you know, you've been a couple couple years where you really had just been in Manitoba even. Um, but also it's the fact that I've always lived in Winnipeg. I haven't moved anywhere else. And um, I said to a friend of mine, one thing I think was interesting for me is you can become very... Um, I think like over time and the older you get, you sort of like your identity becomes so crystallized around how uh, sort of how people perceive you mm. or like who, who are you in this community and stuff like that. And for me, that's definitely been a sort of a, a pretty powerful thing that I don't think has been for the better necessarily. Cause it's like in Winnipeg, a lot of people know me, like mm-hmm. if they don't know me personally, they know my name or they know my face mm-hmm. or they know my Twitter um, or my writing. Um, and obviously, I mean, obviously I don't like, that's a good thing. It's, you know, I'm glad people like what I do. Like, but you get so you don't really know who you are outside of that, you know, like, and I, I think that can become quite um, damaging because you you kind of, who am I without that? Like if Mm. I lost my job tomorrow and went to the other side of the world, who am I? Mm. Like if people don't know who you are, if people don't know, Oh, you're double M from Twitter. Like, Oh, I read your stuff in the paper. Who are you? And so this interesting thing about this, um, when I did that first trip and I went to Poland and Ukraine and stuff was that the people I was meeting and the friends I made there, like they didn't know me from a hole in the wall. They don't know the Winnipeg free press from a hole in the wall. Mm-hmm. None of this stuff means anything to them um, at all. Like there's sort of no, because even in Canada, it's not just Winnipeg, right? Mm-hmm. But even in Canada, when I go elsewhere in Canada, enough people recognize the Winnipeg free press or, you know, and I'm hanging out with other journalists too. So enough people would even like Canadian Twitter even is pretty small. Like, um, but you get over there and like, no one knows or cares. Like it's completely irrelevant. And I remember saying to my friend, this friend I met there in Manuel afterward, um, I said, it was actually a weird epiphany to realize I kind of had nothing. Like everything that I thought was very necessary to how I operate Mm. in social spaces I had that all taken away and people still liked me. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I can still, people still oh like me. God. Like they still want to be my friend. And it sounds stupid. No, it doesn't at but all. It was, like, but it was quite inspiring. Like, I was just like, Oh, like this is, this is great. These guys don't care who I am. And yeah. Or, and they don't know me. They have no preconceived notions of me whatsoever. And like, and I made all these great friends and I really liked people. And, kind of everywhere I, w- I was going I was getting you know and I was just like I hadn't had that experience I think authentically in a long time mm-hmm. because for a very long time most of my friends I have are ones I've met through work um yeah. in some way whether it's people I've interviewed or people I work with or whatever it is it's you know so I, I've never gone into a place with a blank slate mm-hmm. and really long time yeah um and come out like making friends so it was just like yeah, that was a very powerful experience. Of re- and then when I got back was when I started realizing I don't need a lot of this stuff. <laughs> you know, like yeah, I liked that feeling of just being um, stripped down to just like whatever was in my suitcase and then your own kind of personality and just start trusting that it was still going to felt good. Yeah. That was one of like whatever midlife crisis I had the, 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 not even realizing or forgetting or not realizing people liked me with like, you know, cause I just, this is who I was. This is the job I had. People interacted with me on this level. And then the pandemic kind of all the social circles fell apart really. Like it, it was really 
kind of profound and just the the realization that wait people actually do like me that was huge for me yeah. that was huge and then coming yeah, here huge. and realize it is harder to make friends in your 40s like i like that that yeah. is an absolute statement that i will make um but it's not impossible and yeah it is it is interesting and every time i do it it's like oh right <laughs> i have value as a person i forgot like it's not all yeah. the shit i did before building up to oh everyone knows who i am and and i'm respected because of the p- things i've done before i'm just me yeah. here now whatever yeah no it's a beautiful thing right it is funny how everyone wants to make friends but like no one really knows how to do it after it's so hard <laughs> it's so hard uh but and then like you know especially people my age um you know often have families and stuff so like their lives kind of they're they're running on these very narrow lines so it's a little bit harder but yeah it's fine yeah this is why like i will say journalism is good for this as a profession because journalists always meet each other Mm. they always want to hang out together Um, like everywhere you go in the world Mm -hmm. um and then we also like like journalists are seem like less likely than most people to have like kids you know what i mean like just overall seem like a little less settled Mm -hmm. so you can kind of especially if there's like news happening somewhere in the world you can go there and you'll inevitably meet all the other reporters and then you'll be like friends you know pretty quick especially because usually have very similar interests and outlooks on the world Mm -hmm. and stuff so so that's been useful for me i will say in terms of like making new friends Mm -hmm. like kind of everywhere i go you know, you figure out what the journalist bar is, like, you know, in Ukraine, you know, in Kiev, you know, where's the journalist bar? And, um, yeah, or, like, other people that you follow on Twitter, like, hey, I'm going to be in Kiev, like, want to go for drinks? Yeah, you have friends. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, but I do realize other professions aren't as, aren't as good for that. Yeah. Journalism helps, but all the weirdos end up there and then just want to hang out with each other all the time. <laughs> so. And. Nobody yeah. else wants to hang out with them because they're weirdos. Yeah, fair. No, it's <laughs> totally true. Yeah. I wouldn't want to. You know, normal people usually really hate journalism events. There's always like, it's why it's why it's why also uh, like uh, most of my colleagues don't tend to bring partners to mm-hmm. journalism events because it's terrible. Because it's like, yeah, no, like and everyone understands because I mean so, some people do, but for the most part, it's not fun. <laughs> It's not fun for non-journalists. This has been so much fun, actually, um, talking about decluttering and like the things that we imbue our uh, meaning into our lives. And so interesting. There you go. Yeah. This is not the, you know, we had no idea what it was going to be. But look, we found something. We found something. Oh, two smart people. We can figure stuff out. People like us, (laughs) Melissa. Darn it, people like me. Yes. Um, Where can people find you on social media and support you? Well, I'm still on Twitter because Twitter Twitter is uh, continues to operate. Um, does, Dublin Martin. Does I'm on Mastodon at Dublin Martin, but I haven't really been using it except to talk about what's happening on Twitter. Okay. Uh, that's that's basically it for right now. All right, all right, and um, I look forward to hearing what's next. Um, I've been following you for yes, yeah, stay tuned. Well, stay tuned. Dr- early January, I'll, I'll have a bit of a a, a written piece that will make it all clear there's the teaser for it because i know everyone is so invested in, in my life and what i'm doing i care thank you for joining me on geek four 
You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Geek4Pod or me on Twitter at MWBoyce. If you listen on Apple Podcast, click the subscribe button and consider leaving a five-star review. Be sure to join us next time when we learn what someone else is a geek for.